I'm enrolling in Medicare soon, and it had me a little confused. Then I found MyHealthPolicy.com. With MyHealthPolicy.com, I could go online and compare Medicare Advantage plans from some top-rated national insurers, including $0 monthly premium plans. I could learn about plans in my area and talk with a licensed insurance agent if needed. MyHealthPolicy.com has made doing my research a whole lot easier. My choice, my Medicare, myhealthpolicy.com. New to Medicare? Start now. Go to myhealthpolicy.com to learn about some of the top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including plans for $0 a month in plan premiums, low out-of-pocket costs, and expansive provider networks. If you're thinking about a Medicare Advantage plan, myhealthpolicy.com is a great place to go to find a plan that meets your needs. Learn more about your options. Even talk with a licensed insurer agent myhealthpolicy.com so let me get this straight Donald Trump loves to watch 17 hours a day of the Gorilla Channel. <laughs> you know, just think about that for a minute. 17 hours straight of watching the Gorilla. Does anybody in their right fucking mind think that that could have possibly have been real? Is there even a channel called the Gorilla Channel? There isn't. But it's just amazing how people sometimes will believe anything. In the wrestling world, they have these kayfabe websites where they make fake stories. And it's funny once in a while you hear someone on a podcast or a website actually reporting it as real news when it's not. But stuff like this, man, it's it's priceless. And I'm not going to lie. People that are in support of Donald Trump thought that that story was in the book. They may not have believed the actual story, but they thought it was in the book. But watching the people, especially with the blue check marks that despise Donald Trump, that try to find any reason to shit on him at all, this was a little bit uh, special to see the last couple of days. I'll mention the book in a little bit because some of our patrons sent in questions for today's episode of blah, 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 blah. It's back. And I am back. I know I took a two or three week hiatus. You know, first I got hit with the cold. Then I got hit with the flu. And for two days, it felt like walking pneumonia. And then we had Christmas. And then we had New Year's. And then yesterday, I had to deal with a fucking uh, power outage, no heat for almost, what, 16 hours. And tonight, it's, the temperature is supposed to go down to minus one here in New York. I kid you not. It was so fucked up this week. The last two weeks, health-wise, sucked. But I promised everyone 2018, my New Year's resolution, is to drop 30 pounds and to be nothing but positive amongst my family, my friends, customers, strangers, podcasters, hosts, co-hosts, you know, everybody out there, everybody. And I kind of have to make a little apology to this this kid. I think his name is TJ, TG, TG, I think, on uh, Twitter. Kind of like pissed me off a little bit last week with a uh, stupid little tweet. But I should have just said, ah, <laughs> asshole, you know, but, you know, in my own private uh, 
residents. You know, there's a famous saying, if you don't have anything nice to say about someone, make sure they're out of the goddamn room. I live by that sometimes. Ah, I'm back. You know, it's fun to be back on the show. I'm still trying to figure out what exactly this show is. Now, yes, it's everything but wrestling, but I think since we have chosen the title, blah, 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 it's basically random shit. Whatever I feel like talking about, I'm going to bring up in no particular order. You out there have particular topics you want me to cover, a story, an oddball story, something that you haven't seen or something that may not get that much exposure, send it in. I'll be more than happy to consider talking about it. You know, somebody earlier today, they're like, hey, you know what? You should mention this on on your show because when we were talking recent episodes about Harvey Weinstein and the Me Too movement and everything else going on, you know, I had emphasized this and I stand by this and I think everybody out there always respect the victims, all right? But you got to always remember there are abusers, There are victims, but there are also liars. Not every single person who claims that they were uh, um, uh, harassed or abused actually were. And especially when you think about, you know, how the term snowflake was introduced a couple of years ago. You take the term snowflake, you take the PC community, you take the social justice warriors, and then you mix in this Me Too movement. What ends up happening Someone in a job that has a crush on someone or wants to take him out on a date is accused of sexual harassment and abuse. And to me, that is not the case. It, I so Someone actually asked in the questions, have I a, ever dated someone in, that I worked with? And the answer is yes. I remember one girl when I worked for Chase Manhattan Bank in the mid-90s, she worked in the mailroom. And I did credit and collections, and she used to pass by my desk every day and everything, and we would talk, and one time I asked her out for for lunch, and we went out to lunch, and we ended up dating for a couple of months. And, you know, the relationship ended poorly, I'm not going to lie, but, you know, you you ask someone out, you compliment them by the way that they, they, they look or their outfit or just that they're beautiful, and now that sexual, I will not accept that. I will not live that way. Now, me, I'm lucky because me, number one, I have my own office, so I don't have coworkers. You know, I got a secretary, but she's a blimp. And even if she wasn't a blimp, I have a girlfriend. I'm loyal. I'm not going to, you know, ever cheat on her or anything like that. So I'm in an environment where I probably would not be tested that way uh, anytime soon. I mean, I do go to meetings and I meet with colleagues and I meet with other carriers and representatives. But still, you know, I'm in a relationship, so it doesn't even, you know, test me at all. But I'm sorry. You work in a company and you get along with someone. I see nothing wrong with it whatsoever if you want to ask that person out on the date. Now, if you get rejected and turned down or that person says, look, you know, I strictly work, nothing. I will not mix work with pleasure. Fine. You respect it. You move on. That's not sexual abuse and harassment. And, you know, it really has nothing to do with the story I'm about to get into, but I just want to reiterate, you take the overall culture, you know, I, on the, the, this week in wrestling history, and I'm not mixing wrestlers, but I'm going to prove a point this week in wrestling history, I played a clip where a wrestler, Triple H imitated an Asian 
and he's talking like the Asian, and and his name is Doctor Hung Lo. All right, me a Hung Lo. I I'm a Hung Lo. You you fat bastard. You get the hell out of here. Now, did anybody out there cite this guy of being a racist, making fun of Asians back in two thousand and two and ninety eight, whatever it was? No. He did that skit today. Oh, you'll make a fun of Asians. You'll make a fun of my culture. You know, it's just everybody's too very sensitive and fickle in this environment. I was watching yesterday on Fox, Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson. I was watching Tucker Carlson on Fox News. And he had some psychiatrist on, and they were talking about a segment that in a middle school they were reading, you know, um, I forget what the, it might have been To Kill a Mockingbird. And it had to do with Jim Crow in the 1940s and this and that. And look, I have said repeatedly, I don't want to erase history. If you you remove monuments, you know, look, you remove monuments, you move it to a different area so people could learn and see, you know, the negative and the positive of our history, fine. But when you try to erase, you know, moment after moment after moment after moment, I have said this repeatedly, it diminishes the strength and the power of what people overcame. In order to understand that someone is a superhero, I consider Rosa Parks a superhero. All right, even though that day she probably didn't think that she was doing anything out of the ordinary. She was just feeling as a human being that, no, I deserve to sit in the seat. Jackie Robinson is a superhero. You know, there are a lot of people, you know, from yesteryear that I look at as larger-than-life superheroes because of all of the crap and the abuse and just the absolute horrors that they endured. But you want to leave those horrors out there for everybody to read and learn and understand because the more you see of what they went through the more you appreciate of what they did to overcome it and not only that it makes us realize why we are so much better of a culture of today compared to 50 60 70 years ago i so anyway i'm watching yesterday on tucker carlson and they have this psychiatrist on and they were talking about To Kill a Mockingbird. And then after that, they did like a, a question and answer segment. And basically what they were doing was telling these middle schoolers that if you're white and if you're male, that you are privileged. And because you are privileged, you need to understand about respect others. And if you don't you know, learn that you'll grow up to be a movie producer that abuses women and others and stuff like that. And I'm saying to myself... Jesus fucking Christ, I'm a white person, I'm a male, and I just knew from when I was a kid that you don't, you know, abuse women, you don't fucking treat others with disrespect, you don't fucking, you know, treat a black person or a Spanish person. I dated a Dominican chick. I dated a chick once that was the clone for Whitney Houston, but she had a lazy eye, (laughs) you know? I didn't fucking look at her like... Oh, I don't know. I don't know. She's black. Oh, I don't know. She's a, no, I just, there was a, a connection, a bond and attraction. And yes, over the years, I have without a doubt do tongue in cheek humor. I do it for myself, for Asians, for Italians, for Spanish, for black. I just joke with about everybody. But in my heart, I don't feel that my, you know, culture is better than blacks or Asians or that. Am I living a better life compared to others? Sure, absolutely. Why? Because when I, and I've said this before, when I was in my diapers, my father was working three fucking jobs, a gas station, a supermarket, and a bodega. 
All right. Now, do any of those three jobs sound like someone that's white privileged, a gas station, a supermarket, and a bodega? If I called my father right now and told him to turn to page 12 of the Bible and said, read me a couple of verses, my father would probably be, uh, uh, the the Lord is my um, uh, uh, Uh My father never learned how to read. He never graduated from high school. He had to support a family. This year is my parents' 50th wedding anniversary. Do the math. My parents were 18 years old when they got married. They did well, but my father, no high school education, still can't read perfectly and worked three jobs when I was a kid so he could put us through school, not just grammar school, but Catholic school, put us through decent high school education, got us the opportunity of going to college, even though I dropped out. You already know all the stories, you know. And then my father worked his way up to supervise Scatoro Supermarket in Brooklyn, New York. And then in 1982, he had the opportunity to open up his own supermarket in Howard Beach. 1982, that is the time when Ronald Reagan was doing the tax cuts and giving everybody the opportunity to become their own boss. My father went into a neighborhood, Howard Beach, because we weren't born there and we didn't live there, and opened up a supermarket in 82, and it is still open to this day. That's not white privilege. He got an opportunity. He gave himself an opportunity. He made an opportunity. He worked three fucking jobs with his bare hands, okay? Now, at 69 years old, my father, obviously, you could see the effects of working physically, nonstop, since he was a teenager. He didn't sit in a desk in an office. So it not every single white person had white privilege. Sure, he may have had a better opportunity than others, but that's not privilege, okay? So I see that, and I totally understand why in 2018 that's being taught. But at the end of the day, you know, you get your own opportunities. You have to, you know, dig yourself out of a hole. You can't depend on government. You can't depend on others. I I talked about it on other shows. I really haven't had a chance to mention it on blah, blah, blah. Trump passed these tax changes and 85% of Americans are going to get a tax refund. My father is fucked with this tax change because my father owns multiple properties and the New York taxes are extremely high. And because the taxes are extremely high in the past, you were able to write off how much you paid in state and local taxes on your federal tax return. Now the maximum is $10,000. So I don't know if you saw in the news over the last two weeks, but people all across, you know, the, the salt states, and if you don't know what that is, Google it. The salt, the salt states were trying to pay 2018's property taxes before January 1st. Why? Because they could take advantage of the tax credit one more time. And my father did it. My brother did it. A lot of people I know were forced to do it. They emptied their bank accounts, paying off mortgages, paying off tax taxes for next year because they could take advantage of that tax credit one more time. Now, you know what's going to happen now for those that are listening to the show that live in New York or live in California or live in Jersey or live in any other salt state? You'll see a change. If you follow your local mayors, your local governors, you watch. Remember this, what I say. You watch that when they become up 
when they're up for re-election, you're going to hear a major focus on lowering taxes for your state and local because of what Trump did. Now, is my father angry at Trump? No. My father totally understands that this is the United States of America. It's not just California and New York and everybody else. So he understands that there is no one set plan that is going to appease every single person in this country. Now, as far as a political stance, even if New York got a tax credit, even if California did get a tax credit from Trump, they weren't going to vote for him anyway. So this was designed to overall help the United States, and not every state is going to benefit by it. But 85 million, 85% of Americans are going to get a tax credit, a tax refund. You know, that's a pretty damn good deal. I don't know how you could spin that or twist it. But like I say, for people out there who hear different news, who are not sure, you go online and there are calculators. And this is the thing that bugs me the most about the Trump government. This really annoys the shit out of me. Why are they not pushing a website for a tax calculator? Now, there are all websites out there to do this, but they every day should be pushing a website, something like, what is, what, what is my 2018 tax? Something like that. What is my 2018tax.com? And you tell every American, look, if you're not sure if you're going to get a tax credit or not, go on this website, enter your information, and it will tell you right in your face if you're going to get a refund or not. CBS TV did a special last week where they interviewed, I think, like five or six different families. And every single one of them thought that they were going to get a tax increase based on what they were watching on their television sets in their areas. And then you saw the CBS representative go over their taxes, go over the information and put everything in the computer. And every single one of them was getting a refund, was getting a tax break. And they were like, wow, I never in a million years ever expected this. And CBS is not one of those websites, you know, those news organizations or channels that support Trump. But you know, there's a lot of misnomer out there. And this is not to defend Trump. I mean, look, you know, I saw what came out on that book. I guess we could segue into this for Merle Coombs and everybody else that asked about it. You know, they came out with a book called Fire and Fury. I don't like Steve Bannon. If you ever have heard me talk politics, whether it's blah, 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 or Breakfast Soup or whatever other shows you hear me through, you never hear me show support for Steve Bannon. I very rarely have ever mentioned that guy at all. To me, he's shady. In fact, I tweeted to Donald Trump. I said, I don't know why you're calling him sloppy, Steve. You should be calling him shady, Steve. You know, yeah, Steve Bannon looks disheveled. Everybody called him a white supremacist, a white nationalist, or alt-right. I I don't even know what that shit is. I mean, I understand the definitions, but I I can't relate to that stuff. Did Steve Bannon have some views of the world that I agree with? Yeah, absolutely. But something about Steve Bannon just eat shadiness. I don't know if you felt that way as well. But this book came out, and, you know, he did not write this book. You know, this that's the one thing I need to, to, to point out to everyone. For some reason, people think that Steve Bannon wrote this book. It's a book written by this guy, Michael Wolff. Never heard of him before, but after doing some checking, you know, this guy has written books before with a lot of exaggerations. It's like a National Enquirer type guy. Why the Trump organization, the Trump government, 
you know, allowed this guy to be there as much as he was, I do not understand. Yeah, I know Steve Bannon was the one that primarily led him there. You know, if anybody remembers in wrestling, wrestling with shadows, where WWF allowed the cameras to witness all this backstage stuff in 1997 and this, this, and that. You know, do you ever take a step back and with wrestling with shadows and ask yourself, you know, especially at that time, where Vince is so protective about his product, why Vince would allow so much footage to be aired of behind-the-scenes stuff and things that are going on, stuff that was never uh, allowed on camera. And you got to remember, you know, when was the birth of Attitude? It was right around this time, 20 years ago. By this time, Bret Hart was already gone from wwe so attitude really wasn't i mean there was signs of it i mean you saw the smut and the stuff on tv with dx being born and this and that but my point is and i know this is not a wrestling show but i'm just pointing something out you know at that time where the business was still somewhat protected yes vince mcmahon insisted that it was sports entertainment you know we know this the story with as far as taxes and jersey and all that stuff but the point is you look back at that time before Bret Hart even left that organization. And you, I don't know if you've ever stopped and asked yourself, why did WWE allow that much cameras, you know, documenting behind the scenes stuff? I don't know why they let this author of this book have that much access, especially with this guy's history. If you, if you look up his history and you'll understand a little more, this guy had no business having that much access to the White House. But he came out with this book, there's a lot of controversial stuff out of it coming out of it. Um, everybody is saying that you know they, that almost all of it is garbage. It's lies, this and that. And people asked, do I think that um, Trump should have sent to cease and desist his lawyers? Absolutely not. I would have just shot down the book as garbage and move on. Because what's going to happen now is you're going to inspire other authors to come out with these hellacious, bullshit, storytelling books. And you got to understand something. Whether you like Trump or you dislike Trump, there's one thing that is obviously true. That in this day and age, if I go on fucking Twitter or social media and I say something terrible about Trump, I will get hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of likes. You can write and say anything negative about Trump right now, and there'll always be people there to support it and enjoy it. So by putting so much attention to this book, you're not only inspiring people that hate Trump, this is their fix. This is their drug fix. They they just they read this book and they read this nonsense, you know, about the travel ban being designed to make lib- liberals crazy and, you know, just the stuff with Russia and things about his marriage and Melania being a trophy wife and this and that. It's just you read a lot of this crazy shit and there are people out there that will believe it. So mistake big time that Trump's lawyer sent to cease and desist. I would have just shot this book down as garbage and moved on and it would have, you know, still would have gotten some play. What I'm looking forward to is all of these news organizations that despised Bannon and said that, you remember when they said white nationalists are in the White House? That was directed towards him and a few others. Now you watch those same channels that are going to interview him and they're going to put him on the TV and they're going to try to sensationalize this book even more. And then you 
stop and say to yourself, well, wait a minute, you know, they, and yes, can a white nationalist also shit on Trump and be, and be truthful about it? Of course, but they were so against Bannon before. Now you're going to put them on your network? Watch out for that. I, anyway, now, you know, earlier I was talking about uh, the Me Too movement and how there are abusers, there are victims, which is also liars. And I said that I brought it up because I wanted to mention something. And then I got off on a tangent, which I always do, but I wanted to mention about this uh, this rock group. Now, look, have I ever heard their music? Absolutely not. But I notice some listeners of our show have talked about it. I figured I'd share it with everyone. There's a music group from Poland called Decapitated. Fucked up name, yes. But just because you have a fucked up name doesn't mean that you're going to do criminal activities. Uh, decapitated. Anyway, uh, why would you even come up with a name like that? Seriously, I, I totally understand why, but still. <laughs> anyway, Decapitated was performing in Santa Ana, California back in November, and they were arrested and charged with rape and kidnapping. So not only were they arrested and put in jail, they were in jail until December when they were released on their own recognizances. Well, news actually broke just a few hours ago that all charges have been formally dropped against the group. They have evidence now that shows that the band was not only innocent, but that the accuser uh, fabricated the whole thing. Now, one thing that, you know, it's fucked up that it happened in California because you see some of the things coming out of California and it's kind of fucked up the way the laws are and how things are handled. But what I think needs to happen more, and I think I had said this once on Breakfast Soup, people that make up fictitious lawsuits, people that make phony allegations up and it causes people to get arrested or you get lawyers involved and there's expenses, Lawyer's fees, if it's proven that you lied and you made the whole thing up, you need to be held accountable for it. Um, I think whoever this person was that made this accusation, if it is clear-cut proof, if there's clear-cut proof that she lied and made up the whole thing, then she should get arrested, point blank. You know, I, I, I know some women that are listening may not like that segment, but I'm sorry. You know, if women and men are supposed to be treated equal in the workforce, in laws, in the way we look at each other, in the way we treat each other, you can't just because a, a, it's a woman and she's accusing someone that you immediately believe her story 1,000%. And when it ends up that she's lying, well, you know, I, 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 I understand why. And, you know, there's a blah, 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 blah. No, we saw stories recently of some, some people of, of um, Muslim descent accuse non-Muslims. There was a case in New York recently where a woman said that she was beat up on a train and this and that, and it was, it was all fucked up, and it ended up she lied. She lied, and people were sympathetic to her because, well, you know, she has a hard time growing up in this country and dealing with things and that, and for some reason she... no. You fucking lie, you cause anguish to someone or, or you know, you make a fake lawsuit, you have to be held accountable. One of the ways that you lower, you know, the, the misrepresentation of people in, in this country and beyond is you don't tolerate and you don't accept when people lie and make things up. 
It is unbelievable how many times I've seen this, and I know a lot of you have seen it too. You have people on Facebook that will post things about themselves, good deeds that they did, medical emergencies, you know, uh, problems that they're having, or they'll post where they rescued this person or saved this person's life or this, this, and that. And what do they get in response? Dozens, if not hundreds of likes, replies, oh, God bless you. We love you. We're thinking about you. We're praying for you. You're an angel. You're this, you're that. That's addicting. That is fucking addicting. And I've answered this before. When I say something, I feel guilty that I have to prove that what I'm writing publicly is not a lie. When I got sick last week, you know, people heard it in my voice and heard it in my, I couldn't even breathe. I called Kev Cow. I could play the audio when I called him before I recorded his Dark Chronicles episode. You listen to me like, holy shit, what the fuck happened to you? All right. I was sick as a dog. When I talked about losing heat yesterday and electricity, I played footage um, I only played about 45 seconds on on Twitter, but on my personal Facebook page, I posted three or four minutes of the Transformers exploding in front of my house and no power in my house, and you hear my battery backups and this, this and that. When I talked about Superstorm Sandy destroying my pa- parents' house and my father being suicidal and everything like that, I posted on Patreon and for my personal page about 40 minutes of video that I shot two days after Sandy, like, here, go look. I used to do a podcast with someone, not going to mention who the person's name is, but one of the things that angered me the most out of this person was when I was in the midst of dealing with Superstorm Sandy, my father being at his worst as far as depression because of what happened. And I remember being on a podcast and talking about what happened and how everything was destroyed on theirs and describing it. I wasn't doing it to have everybody send me sympathy. I was thinking about it. I'm just telling you what happened. And at that point, I was leaving podcasting scene completely. It just, I had to put my priorities elsewhere. My heart wasn't into it. My mind wasn't into it. I just couldn't, you know, have fun doing a show. And I remember because I guess this person felt that he needed attention also. This person said that, yeah, he had a lot of stuff destroyed in Sandy as well. And me being a professional, I was like, wow, that's fucked up, you know, this and that. And I let it go. But if I, my immediate reaction was, yeah, why don't you tell everyone what was destroyed? Because I knew there wasn't anything. But that's what happens in this day and age. There are people out there that will make accusations. They will call themselves a victim. They will call themselves a hero and this, this and that. And nine times out of 10, it is fabricated. Notice how pictures and videos and stuff is never shown to back something up. I always brought up Alyssa Milano, you know, and that Matarats blocked me on Twitter because of it. And look, I got my satisfaction. You know, I'm a nobody. Of course, she's going to tweet something and she's going to get a hundred thousand likes. I don't need, I don't need that. It's not a drug for me. You know, the fact that you enjoy what I'm doing, that's the drug. All right, I don't need a million people telling me, oh, great job, great job. I know I'm an amateur. I know this is a hobby, but I'll never forget it. And I'm sorry if this is a broken record for some of you out there, but around Christmas time, she went to the city. Now, this Matarats has a camera phone and fucking shoots everything. When people were protesting in front of Trump Tower, she recorded it. When she went there, she recorded it. When this, she selfie this. She does this to that. Well, 
back around Christmas time, she wrote online that she was crying in tears in front of her family because she passed a Christmas store that had a Christmas setup and all of the, the, the nutcrackers all were doing Nazi symbols. And right away, I saw that come across my thread. And somebody had said to me, because they knew that I would be a wisest and, you know, have the balls to say something back. And I'm not saying that Alyssa Milano looks at what I say, but obviously she did because she blocked me because of it. But I basically wrote back. I was like, what was the name of the store? I said, and you just tweeted from New York City. So why didn't you snap a picture? Tell us the store so we could rip on the store. Because there was no store. She, for some reason, did that to basically try to get all the Trump haters and the people accused rape to all get on the side. It's it's a drug to people. It's a drug. I see people on Twitter. Oh, I just did this, and oh, you know, outside my door, there's a there's a there's a, a stray dog, and you know, I feel so bad for him, and I brought him in my house, and I fed him, and I brought him back to life, and now I don't know what to do, and this and that, and then people will be like. Hey, should, you know, show me a picture. I might have some. Oh, I don't have a phone. <laughs> you know how many times I've seen that? I'm not kidding. I, if I had a dollar for every time I've seen stuff like that. Now, don't get me wrong. There are some people that I know in the podcasting world and people I know personally that honestly and truly do these good deeds. They really do. And they don't do it for name recognition. And they don't do it to be praised. Not everybody does, but they're a huge number of people out there that'll make these phony claims and you'll notice they never back it up with proof. In the day and age where everything has a fucking camera, every phone has a camera, you never see a photo, you never see a video, you never see this. So I think me, I don't consider it an obsession, but I have this subconscious feeling to myself that if I have to make a, if I make a claim about something, I'm going to back it up. When I crack my tooth, I posted a picture of the tooth and I put my bobblehead next to it so you didn't think I just took a Google image search and looked for a cracked tooth. This Monday, I'm not doing the Don, Tony, and Kevin Castle show because Monday night, I'm going out to dinner with my parents, with my brother and his wife and kids, and we're taking my father out to his favorite restaurant for, for dinner. The reason why we're not doing it tonight is because, number one, it's only going to be negative one outside. And number two, it's easier for us to get together on a Monday. And, you know, the restaurants are a little quieter at that time and this and that. So Monday night, I'm not going to rush home and prepare for the show. So I asked my buddy Mish if he could fill in for me. And he said, absolutely. So what I did was I proved to him that we're really going out to dinner. Because I know he believes me and I know a majority of you out there believe me and stuff like that. But I just see so much fake online. When I had got to the hospital a couple of months ago, I posted the armband. When I had the fucking results from the blood pressure thing that I got this crazy high blood pressure now from stress and stuff like that, I posted information online. I always like to back up what I say so no one will ever accuse me of lying to something. And that's why when I do the grow, Growing Up Don Tony segments... You know, a few people had asked me in this episode, please, you know, we want some more grown-up Don Tony stories. I could come up and start lying and making up stories that are just not true. That would be funny as hell and interesting, but I'm not going to do that because there are friends of mine that I grew up with that listened to these shows that were around that witnessed the stuff they talk about. And I don't want someone to turn around and say to me one day, 
You never did that. That's not the way it went down. This is this, that. Even with the wrestling stuff, when I tell stories that of things I witnessed, you notice how no one ever accuses me of lying. Any accusation I've ever made, even when I had the fights with my co-host earlier this year, and I want to thank you all, especially the Patreon family, for setting me straight and helping getting things cleared up. But notice, nobody ever accused me of lying about anything. I'm not a good liar. I learned that years ago. I am not a good liar. So I would rather tell you the truth and tell you the stories because I know I don't have to defend that story later on or, you know, because my father taught me when I was a little kid, if you lie, then you have to lie on top of lie, on top of lie, on top of lie, on top of lie. And sooner or later, you're going to get mixed up in that lie and you're not going to remember what you said originally. And believe me when I tell you, as ridiculous as that may sound as a kid, when I talked about how there was this insurance scam going on in my neighborhood. Here's a growing up Don Tony. Uh, that's it's a boring one, but it's just one I'll mention incorporated what we're talking about here. I had opened my insurance office in early 1998. And block and a half away from me, there was a Honda dealer. Jet skis, jet boats, scooters, shit like that. So around the summer of 1998, I get a phone call from one of the owners of this dealership. And, you know, up until that time, even though I wasn't open that long, I didn't have any customers for the most part ever come to me from that dealership looking for insurance. And I always wondered why. And then I realized that they had a a broker in-house, meaning that inside their dealership, they had a guy that had a relationship with an insurance company would write insurance. So anyway, long story short, guy that one of the owners of the place calls me up Hey, how you doing? Is this the insurance broker? Yeah. Hey, what's up? Who's this? Yo, this is blah, 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 blah from blah, 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 Honda. Hey, what's going on? Cuz, cuz, hey, yo, uh, we got a lot of customers here that need insurance for jet skis and shit, and we want to focus more on the sales, you know? If we start sending people over your way, could you think you could write up their insurance? Now, me saying to myself, okay, commission is only 20, 30 bucks. You know, it's a nice little thing if you get a bunch of customers, but I don't know what this guy wants in return. There's not really much money there. So I'm like, well, listen, you know, yeah, send them over. And if there's anything I could do for you in return, nah, nah, just get the, just get the paperwork done right away and send us everything and cause everything's cool in the gang. So I'm like, all right, fine. So that's the deal. So they start sending customers over. I'm writing policy after policy after policy and everything is cool. So, so it just goes to show you how serious shit could get quickly, all right? And just keep in mind, I am located a block and a half away from this place. And if you decide you want to go look up the articles on the Daily News and stuff and read this, you realize how fucking scared shit I was at this time. And everything I'm saying is true. Could be It could be researched. So anyway, I'm writing all these policies. And this is summer of 1998. Summer of love. Now, we get into September, October. Now it's a little colder out. People don't use their jet skis. And I start getting phone calls. Hey, yo, cuz, is the insurance broker? I got to put in a claim. Some fucking asshole stole my jet ski from my fucking house. Yeah, all right, no problem. Start putting in a claim. Another phone call. Ah, uh, look, I'm not going to curse, but, you know, let's just say that the word rhymed with schoolie. Hey, yo, man, yo. 
These somebody fucking stole my two jet skis out of my fucking driveway. These fucking cockstuckers, these fucking schoolies from Brooklyn, and motherfuckers stole my jet skis. Eh? I need a fucking someone to put in a claim for me, cause all right. So I got like twelve of these in less than two weeks. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And I'm thinking to myself, all right, well, maybe, you know, there's, there's a somebody running rampant selling, stealing jet skis in the, in the neighborhood. It's actually pretty easy to do. I don't know if they have alarms on them and stuff like that. So, look, hopefully they catch the people. So I'm putting in claim after claim after claim after claim. <laughs> then all, and, and I will never forget, the last person to put in a claim was uh, I, right smack in the middle of uh what was going down and it was my last claim before something broke in the news this guy came into my office i'll never forget it the win- the summer was just about over i think it was middle of august and he buys two jet skis from across the street buys a trailer covers comes in he wants to insure the jet skis the trailer extra equipment this and that he wants the full boat so i get him everything and um, again, this is middle to late August where you really don't go out in the water as much as you used to. So not even two months later, or maybe three months later, it was in November. It was the first snow that we got of 1998. Um, we get a phone call from the guy and he's like, uh, can I come in? I got to go talk to you. So I'm like, yeah, whatever. So he comes in. And I kid you not, if you just picture yourself taking both of your hands, put them like along with, you know, to the same, you know, length, uh, same height as your ears, and then slap the side of your body. This guy walks in and he slaps his body and he goes, you're not going to believe it. They stole my fucking jet skis. Motherfucker. They took it right out of my driveway. Now, a couple of days before we had snow. All right. So I said, when did this happen? He said, it happened yesterday. He says, I actually saw them pulling it out of my driveway, but I, you know, it was, there was snow outside. I couldn't run outside. I couldn't go after them, get the plate number, nothing. They fucking, so I said, did you call the cops? No, not yet. Well, you got to call the cops. So I said, I'll start filing the claim for you in the meantime, this and that. So now me, I'm not a rat. And I'll always give someone the benefit of the doubt, even though something may smell like shit, may smell funny. But I'm like, all right, whatever. I'll put in the claim. I'll leave it up to the claims people to decide, you know, if it really happened or not. So I call up the claim company. I tell them everything. And um, the claim company knew that we had snow a couple of days earlier. And I had told them, I said, you know, the guy claimed that, you know, this morning he heard something. He looked outside and they were pulling away with his trailer and the jet skis with everything. And, you know, he couldn't get out there because there was snow everywhere. So the claims guy says, would you mind doing me a favor? He says, we can't get out to that neighborhood that day. Could you take a ride past the guy's house and just take a picture of the front of his house? I'm like, sure, no problem. So I said, you know, do you mind if I call the customer first? Because, you know, I don't want to go in front of strangers' house or anybody's house, start taking pictures without people knowing. So he's like, yeah. He's like, but call him, like, right before you go there. I'm like, okay, fine. So I have my cell phone with me. I'm in the neighborhood. The guy lives in the neighborhood. And, like, a block or two away from his house, I said, hey, listen, uh, they're processing the claim. Everything is fine. But I got to just take a picture of the location where this happened. So the guy, you know, he's now I realize the fucking guy's brain dead after, you know, after knowing the whole story of what happened. He's like, yeah, no problem. Take the picture. He's like, you coming now or, you know, you're going to come by later. He's like, no, I'm going to come now. He's like, all right, yeah, no problem. So I go there. I take a picture of the front of his house. I go back to my office and send the picture over. 
I don't hear nothing from it. Then about a month later, I get a phone call from my claims guy saying that you're not going to believe this. They found the jet skis. Somebody tried to set them on fire in a warehouse in Brooklyn, and they tried to set a fire with the covers on so people wouldn't be able to see that they were jet skis right away. But because there were covers on top of the boat, the cover protected the jet skis and the fire went out pretty quickly. So now they're citing this for fraud. You know, they think something is up. Now, it's very important if you follow the timeline here because we're now in November of 98 that this happened. So apparently the sting operation had already uh, come to pass and and they were no longer doing what they were originally doing. Now, right now you might be all confused, but let's fast forward one year and then you'll see where this is going. In December of 1999, I get a visit from the FBI. They go to my office and they said, uh, we need to see uh, all of the transactions that you made for Cross Bay Honda uh, insuring jet skis. And I'm like, sure, you know, what's this all about? And they said, well, you know, we, there, there might be some issues with the claims that were involved and we're not saying that you had anything to do with it, but we need to see all the activity. So I give them all the paperwork. They ask me, how did I start writing the insurance? Because remember, I started my brokerage in early 1998. I wasn't even in business six months when I was approached about selling insurance. So now me, you know, I'm not a rat, but at the same time, you know, I'm not going to lie for anybody as well. I'm going to just, you know, I'm not going to be part of anything. So they're like, well, how did you start writing these and all I said was, look, you know, I, I, I'm in the neighborhood, I'm, I'm nearby dealerships. I was asked if I wrote insurance for jet skis. I said, yes, the next thing I know, customers are coming over. That's all I said. So they're like, okay, you know, this, this is good. And believe me, they were there for like three or four hours, you know, taking files, taking copies. But, you know, they, 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 I remember the guy leaving me his card. I still have it in my desk to this day. And he's insistent to me. He's like, look, if you didn't do anything wrong, there's nothing for you to worry about this and that. And I'm like, look, do I need to get a lawyer or something? Like, no, 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 no. Just right now, we just need to see the files. Fine. Not even two, two weeks later, uh, I think it was my father called me up. He says, hey, did you uh, see the news this morning? I said, no. Now, we did have internet in 1999, so my father wasn't an internet person at the time, so he didn't even know that you could look at this online. So I go online, and you could search it, New York Daily News, Friday, December 10th, 1999, there's an article, and it says, hot jet ski ring beached, 55 indicted on insurance fraud charges. All right, now, here's basically what happened. I'm just going to read one quick little paragraph from it. The owners of Cross Bay Honda, they and seven other defendants were charged with an enterprise corruption and each faces a maximum penalty of 25 years in prison. In addition, 45 other defendants were charged with insurance fraud and other crimes. They face up to seven years in prison if convicted. This is what happened. Between September of 1996, I wasn't open yet, and November of 98, they had some sting operation. What would happen, and it, it all started with going to the boat show in, I guess, early of 1997, and they did it again in early 1998, and I guess the people who were involved with this Honda dealership got greedy. And 
when you would buy a jet ski at that time, you could get these crazy deals of no money down, with no payments until September. Enjoy the summer. Enjoy the summer. So not every customer that walked into a jet ski place was trying to commit fraud, but they had about 50 people. And what they would do is, and a lot of them lived in the neighborhood, is they would go to Cross Bay Honda. They would buy two jet skis. And because it was no money down and you could enjoy the summer without making any payments, you wouldn't have to start paying until October, November of that year. You know, no payments till September, actually. So you could get the jet skis, use the jet skis, and then in September, you start making payments on it. So now you got jet skis that are on average worth about $7,500 a piece. So you get two jet skis, you're using them. So now what happens is you got the jet skis, you use them during the summer. Now you, you know, you're in the middle of this fraud thing. So in September, in October, when it's finally you got to start paying these things off, somebody from Cross Bay Honda would steal the jet skis. And then the customer would report fraud for the jet skis that they were stolen. They, they didn't report fraud. They reported they were stolen. So now keep in mind, the customer has still not paid any money out of pocket. If he paid anything out of pocket, he paid for the taxes and he paid the down payment for insurance because you couldn't get insurance and not pay until September. So now this person reports the jet ski stolen, has put out virtually no money whatsoever. So now you think, okay, who is going to get the money for the value of the jet skis? Because remember, the customer didn't pay any money. So the money for the jet skis would go to the finance company. So the bank for, for Honda got their money. So the person ends up with two jet skis using it for the summertime, paying really no money down, and he's not responsible for the jet skis. Now, you, now I know a lot of you out there were very smart saying, well, why would anybody do that? You're not getting any money for the jet skis because you put no money down. The money from the insurance claim goes to the bank. So you got three months worth of jet skis to use for nothing. Is it worth going to jail, possibly going to jail for? Well, here's where it went further. What they would do with the jet skis once they got it is they would ship them to Puerto Rico for resale. So they were boxing these jet skis up and they would put them on boats and they would be in ship to Puerto Rico. So you would have a $7,500 jet ski that would then get put in a crate and shipped to Puerto Rico for $3,000. So Cross Bay Honda would get a cut. The person with the jet skis would get a cut. The bank would get their money back from the insurance claim, and everything is happy. So Puerto Rico gets the jet skis. The, you see, they double-dipped, and they got caught. So the last person who bought the jet skis that ended up trying to set them on fire, apparently the, this, the scam had stopped in, I think it was November of 1998. So right at the time they stopped shipping these to Puerto Rico, here's a guy that got two jet skis that expected to report them stolen. They get shipped to Puerto Rico. He gets his cut for it. And that's why everybody used to buy two jet skis. Because is it worth to buy only one jet ski and may only get $1,000 out of it? No, if you sell two jet skis and they get shipped to Puerto Rico, you may end up with two, three, four thousand dollars $4,000 out of this deal. So that's what happened. And, you know, look, I'm not going to start Googling 
what the outcome was. I do know that some people went to jail for 10, 15, 20 years because of this. But this was a major, major scandal in my neighborhood. Now, yours truly, imagine how fucking scared I was because, number one, you know, I'm thinking, okay, I hope the FBI doesn't think that I did anything wrong. Even though I did do nothing wrong, I had no idea any of this stuff was going on. Just the fact that if I would have had to have gotten a lawyer and go to court to clear my name, do you realize the money that's involved with something like that? So you just think about it. They arrested all of these customers. They arrested Cross Bay Honda. They arrested their their insurance guy. Never was accused of anything. Thank God they never asked me to testify or anything like that. But how crazy is that shit? So I don't know how we got on that topic, but uh, hey, you know, it's it. we're returning, blah, 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 blah. And I figured I'd share a little story. Uh, so I hope you enjoyed that, Courtney Summers. Um, she also wanted to know, what is the most memorable moment from growing up that can be from being in elementary school to even college age? And I've told this story once before, and I'll tell it again. And it's it's just more of a gratification. I mean, you know, going to the trip to Italy, in um junior year of high school was fucking unbelievable the memories i have from that trip is just outstanding and you know just meeting up with people the following year and this chick that i had fooled around with and gave her uh, she gave me a hickey and i was passed out and don't remember a day and a half and she was some fat chick from texas it was just and she smacked me in the face when they came to New York because her girlfriend who was also on a trip, she had one of these portable 110 cameras at the time. And, you know, a couple of my friends decided to take pictures of uh, what was called Dick in a Glass. They See, when we went to Italy, we stood in a hotel room where they had a skeleton key, meaning that one key could open more than one room. So while everybody was out like on gondolas or something one day, me and my friends had taken the skeleton key and got into everybody's room. And, you know, we took some people's cigarettes because I smoked at the time. Some people who brought like some candy and stuff from New York. We ate the candy. Didn't take anybody's money or anything like that. Didn't fuck with anybody's stuff. But I remember they went into one room where it was the, these uh, students from Texas who were part of the trip with us. And one of the girls had a, one of these 110 cameras, these little thin regular cameras at the time. And two or three of my friends went into the bathroom, closed the door. We didn't know what they did at the time. They just laughed their asses off. And then we found out a year later that they decided to pull their pants down, put their penises in glasses, drinking glasses, and take pictures. Now, it's fucked up because if you think about it, I'm sure those glasses were not rinsed out to be a little bit respectful and put back on the shelf. Something tells me that somebody was brushing their teeth later on thinking that they were rinsing their mouth with clean water and it had penis in it. So there's so many stories, but the one story that sticks out to me that I just absolutely am satisfied since you bring up elementary school is this. I went to public school 128 when I was a kid. Some of the photos of the class pictures, I have them on my personal Facebook page for good laughs, but I got thrown out of that school. I got thrown out of that school in fourth grade, I believe, And the reason being is because I was just too much trouble. I was very mischievous. And one time, me and my friend Danny, who I still am friends with to this day, his brother owns a glass, auto glass shop in Brooklyn, New York. But me and Danny decided that we were going to uh, melt crayons on the radiators. Now, you got to remember, we were kids. 
This is fourth grade. We're in class, and we collect all these bottle caps from the schoolyard during, I guess, recess or whatever. We have all these bottle caps, and we take pieces of crayons, and we put a little piece of crayon into each bottle cap, and then we laid the bottle caps very nicely onto the radiators. And the idea was that the heat from the radiators would melt the bottle cap, melt the, the crayon wax into the bottle cap. Once it was melted, we would take the bottle caps off. They would dry. The wax would be embedded in the bottle cap, and then you would flip them and hit people in the head with it. So that's what we did. We must have melted probably about 40 bottle caps. Now, we sat in the back of the class, so nobody saw what we were doing. But unfortunately, because we were in fourth grade and we weren't like great at this stuff, crayons fell into the radiator system, bottle caps tipped over, something like fucking did this. All I know is that we ended up, we fucked up the entire heating system in the school. So there was no heat. The heat went out. They found out that it was us. And I remember the principal, and I think he is still alive. I kid you not. And he lived in Howard Beach. So if you want to Google him, by all means, his name was public knowledge. His name was Mr. Iorio, principal, PS128, that fuck. So the reason why I hate him so much is because my uh, parents were brought in couple of days later, the PS-128. And I'm there too, and Mr. Iorio is there. Now, you got to keep in mind what I said earlier about my dad, working three jobs, trying to put us through school. I mean, working fucking 18 hours a day. You know, I can't tell you how many years that I would wake up in the morning and my father was already left for work. He would come home at night at around 9, 10 o'clock. He would eat like a bowl of squash and go upstairs, take a bath and go to sleep, and I would see him five minutes. And this was for years. And it was so hard. We The only time we ever went away was a uh, cruise in 1986. And there is, uh, growing up Don Tony, there is a couple of retro fro- photos of us on the cruise that time. And by the way, for those who want to see some more retro Don Tony photos, oh, I got some doozies that my mother found a couple of weeks ago. My aunt had died. And yeah, I guess they were going through some old albums and they found some photos of yours truly at 14 years old, 15 years old, 17 years old. And it's pretty wacky. It's pretty wacky. Wait till you see these photos. Funny, funny, funny shit. So anyway, um, they bring my parents in a couple of days later with me. And I will never forget. And I'm in fourth grade. I remember, never forget. He sits my parents down. And he goes on to berate me and put me down that your son is nothing but trouble. He's a derelict. He's this, he's that. We can no longer keep him in the school. And started putting my father down. Now, my father was a triple degree black belt. And my father had a fucking huge temper. Anybody that's listening to the show that knows me personally knows the stories of my father when I was younger. I mean, there was one time my friend Billy, who ended up being a cop, and I always thought in the back of my mind that one day my f- friend Billy's going to try to extract revenge on my father. We were about 12 years old, and we were hanging out. I think I might have told this story once before. I was hanging out uh, at my friend Joe's house, who lived a block, a little more than a block away from me. And, you know, we used to fuck around with each other and, you know, beat each other up, fun, you know, just for fun. You know, not real abuse, but, you know, somebody would yell pile on and the next thing you know, 10 people would pile on one person until they couldn't breathe and almost turn purple. And I used to be the victim of that a lot. Was I bullied a little bit when I was young? Absolutely. But 
you know, everybody was, you know, we just, it wasn't cold billing at that time. Some people took it a little bit too far. My friend Bill used to take it a little bit too far. And one time, you know, they piled on me and he took my sneakers off and he threw the sneaker up in the air because we had these big telephone poles with the cable wires. And I, I know my friend Billy wasn't trying to get my sneakers stuck up there, but he was just trying to like, pretend that he was to get me upset well anyway then the end result is, is that these sneakers were almost brand new my father would bust his ass just to have some money to buy his you know basic things one of my sneakers got stuck on a telephone pole about 15 feet up in the air now there was no way to fucking climb up there and get it we didn't have no fucking 12 foot sticks that we could you know knock it down it was stuck i walked home with one sneaker I remember coming home and my mother asked me what happened with your sneaker. And I said, I lost it. She's like, how do you lose a sneaker? I said, I was running and I lost it. She's like, you don't realize you're running without a sneaker. She knew that something happened. My father comes home about an hour or two later, you know, what happened to your sneaker? And I don't know what he threatened me with, but he got truth out of me. And I told him, I said, my, my friend Billy accidentally pulled this, you know, threw the sneaker up in the air. So, it ends up that Billy was still hanging out at my friend Joey's house. So my f- my father says, I'm going to, to Joe's house. So I'm like, no, Dad, don't do it. Dad, don't do it. And keep in mind, we're only 12 years old at the time. So we walk to my friend Joe's house. And I don't know if I had other shoes on. So I honestly think I walked without sneakers on. I'm kidding you not. We get to Joe's house, and I'll never forget it. And my friend Billy's there, my friend Joe's there, and something else. My father says, who threw my son's sneakers on the telephone pole? And Billy said it was me. My father grabbed Billy by the hair and dragged him for a block and a half to his house and got into almost a big fist fight with Billy's father, threatened him, this is an act. Now, keep in mind, this is a grown man dragging a 12-year-old by the hair for a block and a half to his house to get his father to pay for my sneakers. It was one of the worst things that I ever witnessed. And if that happened in this day, of course, my father would have been arrested. But as we grew up, my my friend Billy apologized to me and apologized to my father. But I always felt in the back of my mind that Billy, you know, he was, you know, he's a, a strong cookie and he is a tough motherfucker. And, you know, he turned out, pretty good for himself he was a cop and he was a vest investigator after but i always just thought in the back of my mind being dragged by the hair for a block and a half i always thought he was going to extract revenge but so the, anyway just going back a little bit so go back to ps 128 i'm in fourth grade so mr iorio is really giving a bad mouth to my father And I honestly thought my father was going to punch him in the mouth, but he was basically telling my parents that they better learn how to raise kids the right way, that I'm never going to amount to anything, that I'm a derelict, I'm a loser, I'm a lowlife, I can no longer... He really, really put me down. I mean, put me down... It's probably illegal to even talk the way he did nowadays. And it always stuck with me. So I ended up getting kicked out of 128... And I started going to St. Margaret's, which was grammar school. I went there fourth grade. Now, it was total culture shock to go from public school to Catholic school. And Catholic school was not cheap. So my father had to pay extra money to put me through Catholic school. But I started there in part of fourth grade and ended up doing well. 
know, I I went there up until eighth grade. I was uh, I took the SAT and I got accepted to McClancy High School, Malloy High School, and San Francis Prep High School. I made all my schools. And, you know, I went through St. Francis Prep. I graduated with an 89.2 average, I think. And then, um, you know, I was going to go to St. John's. Obviously, you know, the history, I, you know, I, I dropped out and all that. But you know, I always had a little bit of bitterness of getting thrown out of PS128. So now we fast forward to the, I would say, probably early 90s, around 1992. So now at that time, I'm in my early 20s. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm working for my father and I'm doing pretty good. I'm, I'm making money. I'm staying out of trouble and every, and everything is cool. And one day walking out of my father's supermarket is Mr. Iorio, the principal. Now I had not seen him in well over a decade, more than that. And I'm like, Mr. Iorio, he looks at me. And with no respect whatsoever, he doesn't even say my first name. He says, De Blasi? I'm like, yeah. He's like, wow, you know, how's it going? And I'm like, yeah, pretty good. I swear on my mother. I swear on my father. I swear on everybody listening. After all of these years and now me in my early 20s, you know what the first words out of his mouth was? Ah, I see you working in the deli. You know, you quit school. You know, you know, you know, you you get any trouble? Like he was like really downplaying what I was doing. So I said to him, I said, no. I said, actually, you know, my father owns this deli. He says he owns this deli. No, I don't want to say the name publicly. He said, and I'm like, yeah, he owns it. In fact, he owns the whole block. He's like, he owns the whole block. And I'm like, yeah. He's like, uh, your father. Your, your dad, the one that I saw that time, you know, the, the one, you know, that was, I'm like, yeah, no, my father, he owns this store, he owns that store. He, my father did, he owned the whole block. He didn't run the whole block, he rented them out, but he owned the whole block. So he's like, oh, okay. So he's putting the groceries in the trunk. And I was like, wow, I never saw you shop in the store before. I said, he's like, how long have you been working here? I said, I've been working here about five years now. And he said, you know, I actually run, you know, part of the deli and stuff. So he was like, oh, well, it was nice seeing you. Never saw him ever again. He never, ever would dare step foot in that shopping center ever again. He was so embarrassed and he was so angry that, you know, I actually ended up doing something with my life. And he was so angry that my father succeeded. And he was so, I guess, bitter that here he is buying groceries from us. He never showed up ever. I've never seen him ever again. Now, I have never bothered to Google his name to see if he's alive still or if he's dead. I mean, quite honestly, he's probably deceased only because if you do the math, I mean, he he had to have been in his 60s, you know, at least mid-60s when uh, I saw him in the early 90s. So for me, that is my most memorable moment. I mean, I could give you moments of going in clubs and, you know interactions with women and seeing my friends do stuff and crazy shit. But as far as satisfaction goes, you know, it was just a moment that I will never forget. I only wish that my father would have been outside also. So my father could have put a smile, you know, also to see just to look at this guy turned white, turned white as a ghost, got so angry, you know, and he was Italian, you know, Miss Iorio. And uh, I'm sure if people want to spend their time Google. We probably can find some info on it. 
Big Papa Pump, Donald J. Trump. He remembers a couple of months ago that I was going to start DDP Yoga, but then I never mentioned it again. Um, am I going to do it? If so, how much weight do I want to lose? Right now, I'm about 262 weight-wise. I want to get down to about 235. Um, the reason why I have not started the DDP Yoga yet is because I have had some serious rehabilitation issues with my right arm. You got to remember, I tore my rotator cuff, I tore my labrum, and I tore my bicep. And the recovery time, they said, was going to be about nine months. I had the surgery, I think, what, February of last year or March of last year? So nine months really was pretty much December. So only now am I really starting to get the strength that I wanted to get. But um, I was advised that until my arm feels like it's back to normal, do not start the yoga. So I have been holding off on it. I've been paying the premium membership for, for DDP Yoga, but I haven't started yet. I plan on starting in a couple of weeks. And it's not that I'm putting it off for laziness. I'm just waiting. I'm, I'm actually going to see my doctor a week from Monday. And if he gives me the okay that I could start doing it, I'm going to start doing it. Um, Tom Nelson, now that all the NFL playoff teams are ready, who do I think are the two te- teams that are going to be in the Super Bowl and who wins? Now, to be honest with you, I said at the beginning of the year, and I'm sure you remember one of the old blah, blah, blahs. You know, they're not old, but previous editions. I said, don't worry about the Patriots. I think the Patriots will possibly repeat this year. Patriots was my pick since before the season started. I think the final two teams that are going to be, I think the two teams in the Super Bowl are going to be the Patriots and the Vikings. However, I'm kind of leaning towards the Vikings as winning Super Bowl 52. I just, I, I know that they could be an underdog. For some reason, the Buffalo Bills and the Falcons seem to be getting a lot of momentum and a lot of people are hoping and praying and, you know, just fantasizing them winning. Nah, I think at the end of the day, I think it's going to be the Vikings versus the Patriots. And I'm kind of leaning towards the Vikings taking this one. So that's that's where I'm going with it. Could be wrong. Probably going to be wrong. But, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, let's see. Alan Pierce. Whatever consider, consider actually. You know, it was interesting. Shout out to Alan Pierce and Ben Salmon because they both sent in Sopranos questions. I don't know if there was news lately about the Sopranos or something because it's very odd to see two people that don't know each other send private questions that had to do with the Sopranos but I'll get into them quick Alan Pierce would I ever consider watching the Sopranos he recently went back and rewatched the entire series he agrees the first season definitely had some over-the-top Goomba stuff but the following seasons more than made up for it Ben Salmon's question, since it kind of interacts with this, what was it specifically about The Sopranos that made it impossible for, for me to suspend disbelief? Do I think it's possible to make a series like The Sopranos that feels authentic while still keeping a TV audience hooked for five more seasons, five or more seasons? Now, to answer both of your questions, you know, I have to get through season one before I want to get through season two and season three and season four. I know it could be very easy for me to just start with season two and just enjoy it from there. And yes, some members of the the show, The Sopranos, are friends with my family personally. Some of you have had the privilege of seeing some of the photos over the years. You know, there's been a few of them. Um, They're friends with a lot of people in the neighborhood. And you would think because they were members of The Sopranos that are friends of the family that I would want, want to watch it even more. 
But without naming names, there were one or two members of the Sopranos that I've talked to over the years, you know, at events with my parents, that agreed that they felt that a lot of the shit didn't feel authentic. And of course, they have to go over the top sometimes. You look at shows on the ID channel uh, and other channels that talk about these stories of death and murder and controversy. And a lot of times you'll see disclaimers right at the beginning that, you know, some of the names or some of the content has been fabricated for, you know, the, for TV purposes or basically what they say in a simple English is like, we exaggerated some shit to make it interesting for TV. And I brought up in the past growing up Gotti, growing up Gotti, my my friend cuts the hair for most of the members of the Gotti family. Members of the Gotti family, I knew personally. My father knew personally. One, one or two of them went to my wedding in 1999, all right? And they themselves said privately that they were forced to really go over the top on a lot of stuff, especially the sons, because some of the things, when they were authentic, they weren't as interesting, so they were forced to really go over the top and this and that. And, you know, for people that knew them, it was kind of unwatchable to see. You know, it, it's it's interesting because, you know, I always talk in the wrestling side of being a diehard ECW fan growing up. And when that video came out for them and I, I was such a diehard fan, that video game that sucked tremendously. I forced myself to play it and play it and play it and play it and, and convince myself that it was fun. And I did it because I was such a big fan. So for some reason, though, when it comes to the Sopranos or Grown Up Gotti, I couldn't do the same thing. I don't know why. But, you know, the thing is, is that when you grow up in the neighborhood that I grew up in, and then you work in Howard Beach and you live in Howard Beach for so many years, and, you know, I've told the story about being an honorary member at Gotti's Coffee Club, especially during the... the, the um, the bazaars and, you know, 4th of July fireworks and, you know, just all the stories that I've told in the past. When you see a lot of stuff, was I around when there was illegal activity? No, I never witnessed any illegal activity. And I'm not saying that because uh, feds are listening. No, I, I, I was a kid at the time. You know, I just, I was just in awe. If you watch Goodfellas, when you see the son and he shows up wearing a suit and his mother says, you look like a gangster. I never dressed up like that or anything like that. I mean, I wore the typical Cougine stuff in the, in the eighties, you know, the Playboy decks, the two-tone jeans, white in the front, black in the back or gray in the front and dark gray in the back. You know, you wear a Sergio Valente shirt, you're wearing it, you know, with all the buttons open, you're showing you have very few chest hairs because you're a teenager. You have the jewelry on with the Christ head. You have your hair slicked back, almost pasted back. And you have the penciled in mustache to make it look a little darker, to make yourself look a little bit older. And then you got a fake ID that you got from fucking Queen Center Mall so you could go to clubs and get in. You know, it was 18 to party, 21 to drink. And I wasn't even 18 yet, but I would get the fake ID for 21. So not only could I go in, but I could also drink also. And then you would meet some chicks and then... That's what it was like. But I never saw any fucking racketeering or any murder or anything like that. 
but you knew the stories. You heard the stories. You heard it from people that, you know, may have witnessed some of it. You went through in real time when people would get arrested and be on TV, people get hit. It just, and then you see some things. And when I used to go to Butterfingers and you would see the cardboard gangsters come in and you could tell who was fake and who was cardboard and who was real. And you see enough of it. You work in the deli. And like I said, when you remember that Howard Beach incident where those those pricks chased the, 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 the black kid onto the Bell Parkway and killed him. And one of them walked into my father's store, thought he was a celebrity, wanted free food. And my father told him to get the fuck out. You know, when you're around that and you see everybody in the 80s with their Dadillacs, that's what it was called, Dadillacs. You were driving your father's Cadillacs. We were called Dadillacs. You do the Linguini Lean, you see all the other people, and you go to the coffee shop. And you The, the only thing that I did witness was playing cards because I you did play cards a couple of times. And it was not fun to play cards. You would have fun. Because you're drinking cappuccino, you'd see people coming in, you see girls coming in, and they're looking at you, and they're kind of jealous, and they're a little bit awed, but you're sitting with all these fucking big timers, and you're playing cards. But you would always get someone who would lose, who was a gangster, and would get angry. And when I mean angry, like flip the table upside down, piss everybody off, everybody's chips goes flying, so you really there's no way for you to show how much money you really had on the table and stuff like that. And you learned very quickly that when someone flipped out like that, you don't turn around and say, the fuck do you do? My chips. I'm going to play. You'd get the shit knocked out of you. So you just sucked it up, said nothing. And that happened once. It, you know, Because there were multiple tables. And you usually, when you saw it happen, it didn't happen every single time. When you saw it happen, somebody get pissed off and they flipped the table or something like that. Usually one of the other tables, but one time, I was playing at the coffee shop, and I remember one of the guys who, you know, put a lot of money on in one game and lost, and he flipped the table upside down, and we just looked at each other like all of our chips just went flying. You know, everybody. We kept quiet, didn't say nothing. Guy calmed down, you know, apologized to everyone, and then what they did was they handed you some chips, and they tried to pretty much guess what you had at that time before the table was flipped. Now, I don't remember how much money I was playing with. It wasn't a lot. I didn't have a lot of money. And I don't know how much money they gave me afterwards. But I guarantee you there were some people who had more money on the table who ended up with less. And I guarantee you there were some people who had very few chips and ended up with more. But, um, you know, just Sopranos watching some of it. Even though it won Emmys and stuff, I just couldn't get into it could not get into it i'm sure i'll revisit it one day and maybe i'll just have a different take towards it um could a series now you know do something similar surprise absolutely but the problem is is that you know a lot of this stuff will always be sensationalized always be exaggerated and the further we get away from the decades of the 70s the 80s the 90s the more uh you get people that didn't live through those eras. So they try to guess what it was like to live through those eras. And some people figure it out and some people don't have a fucking clue. I watch some movies and some things from today that they try to portray themselves from the 70s or the 80s. Now, I don't expect every prop and every little item to look like it was authentic from the 70s or anything like that. 
but you see phrases, you don't hear phrases, you see certain things, you don't see certain things, that you look at you like, this person don't have a goddamn clue what it was like to live during that time. See, even like I, I mentioned this the other day, I don't remember which show it was, Amazon right now has a pretty cool series. I now I, I remember it was Breakfast Soup. Amazon has a pretty cool series right now about video games. And I think they've done 10 episodes so far, and it's season one. And I think they go from 1980 to 1989. That might be the era. And each episode is about 45 minutes long. And they talk about the video games that were released during that respective year. And me growing up with video games, Atari, ColecoVision, Nintendo, you know, all the other ones that were around, Sega, you know, and being around when Asteroids came out and Missile Command and Miss Pac-Man and Pac-Man, Space Invaders, Dig Dug, Jungle Hunt, Qbert, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out, it was all memories. So it was so cool to see these episodes. And I'll be honest with you, these episodes are good. They are definitely a lot of fun to check out. So if you haven't checked them out already and you're an old school video buff, go check them out. The one thing that I could not stand about this series, though, and it really stuck out to me too much, is that just about everybody who is being interviewed during these segments are millennials. And I have nothing against millennials, but... They should have interviewed more people who are in their 40s or even 50s because at least least they live through these eras. You know, when I watch people online criticizing wrestling from 20, 30 years ago, of course, you, you as a young fan could go back and watch those eras week in and week out and week in and week out and get a good idea of what it was like. But you'll never be able to equal what it was like to actually watch it in real time because the culture was different. There were, the social media was not existent. The PC community and social justice warriors was totally different at that time. What you were allowed to say and get away with was different. The cu- just There's too many things that were different at that time. And when it came to the video game shows and they're interviewing people who are in their 20s or barely hitting 30. And now I'm thinking to myself, okay, so in 1980, you know, if they were were born in 1980, they would be 36 years right now. So when they were, you know, uh, uh, first playing games and they were five, it's like, nah, you know, that's a little too young. I think if you would have had people in their 40s who were maybe a teenager in 1980, who went to video amusement things in 8081 and spent hours and hours in coffee shops and candy stores, dumping quarters. You know, there's nothing wrong with playing Miss Pac-Man if you started playing it in 1990. But it's much, much different to be a kid and get Atari for Christmas in 1977 or whatever it was. And just at that time, it fucking being an unbelievable game and having your friends come over after school and playing video games for hours and hours and hours of Space Invaders and whatever it was. And it was just a totally different era. And you can't relive that. The only way to relive it or try to recreate it is to literally shut yourself off from everything else that's available right now. And it can't be done. So, again, the further and further we get away from the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s, 
it is much harder to recreate it unless you uh, surround yourself with people who lived through it during those times. Uh, Diogo, uh, the tweet by Trump about the nuclear button is something serious. Do I think it is? He asked mainly because of national security being teasing by the North Korean government. Can this help the case of impeachment? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, Look, I totally understand that people that hate Trump, you know, think he's got a screw loose. You know, I, because I support him, I obviously, you know, look at things differently. But the one thing I noticed is first it was Russian collusion. Then it was obstruction of justice. Now he's got a couple of screws loose. Now he's not mentally or physically fit to be president. Now it's this, they're just going to keep trying to come up with something to try to get rid of him. And the next thing you know, four years are going to go by. And if the economy is better and crime is down and just everything overall seems to be on the upward trend, this guy's going to get elected for another four years. That's what it comes down to. You know, it just, I wish he wouldn't tweet as much as he does. I'll admit, I didn't like the tweet that Trump said about his button being bigger than the leader of North Korea's. But he talks to the leader of North Korea that he's not legitimate. And that gets under his skin. And hopefully there will be talks and maybe that's the only way to get through this nut job, the leader of North Korea. And look, could this leader of North Korea just put launch a missile just out of spite? Of course. But then North Korea will be destroyed. Yes, millions of innocent civilians from other countries could be killed as well. But you can't deal with someone like that as it's been the last couple of decades, because it has not gone anywhere. I'm just hoping that talks will commence and things will subside and, you know, you never know. But the one thing I will always say about Trump, everything that has gone on, I always bring it down to one thing. Whether you like him or if you don't like him, this is how I summarize Trump as a president. And this goes back to decades upon decades with his success in the business world. Trump has a gigantic ego. He's got to succeed. He wants to succeed. He will not accept failure. He is like a lot of us, that if you have a problem, that you will not stop until you fix that problem. You will not stop. But when Trump succeeds and he could brag and he could feed his ego, that's his ultimate drug. So even if you don't like Trump, if he succeeds and taxes get cut, the economy gets better, the deficit comes down, you healthcare costs come down, you could have the option of buying different coverage, you could buy it across state lines, if ISIS gets wiped off the planet, if everything overall is good, that's what he wants more than anything because it feeds his fucking ego. So if he succeeds, we succeed. And that's what it comes down to. And this is why Democrats, for the most part, are never going to have uh, uh, the, the, the capability of working with him all the time. Because if they work with him and he succeeds and everything does succeed, Democrats aren't going to take over the House and the Senate. The, the, the Americans are going to say, look, everything's succeeding. 
So the people that are in office right now that are Democrats, they're going to have to decide for themselves, do they want to keep their job and worry about their job, or do they want to worry about the overall agenda? And if they want to worry about the overall agenda, which is how it's come across with Pelosi and Schumer, that Democrats, you know, got to take over the House and the Senate, and, you know, this way they could impeach 45, impeach 45, then they have to always go against them. Because if they go with them, and things work out, then they're gonna, America's going to say, hey, let's leave everything the way it is for four more years. So Democrats, just by common sense, are not going to go along with a lot of stuff. And the only group of people that it seems that the Democrats want to appease right now are illegal immigrants. If you always hear it, they keep talking about DACA, 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 DACA. And me, look, I've said many times, those DACA recipients should be able to stay here, without a doubt. It was not their fault that they came here illegally when they were a child. I know some of them are almost approaching 40, but still, they know no other country but here, they should be able to stay. But if you notice, it's the only thing that you hear, for the most part, with Democrats. Why? Because it's much bigger than 800,000 DACA recipients. It's the overall impression that Democrats have amongst minorities, African-Americans, gays, Mexicans, Muslims. So when they stick to the groups out there that are the stereotype is that they're being treated unfairly by our president, it's a trickle-down effect that if you help DACA, you're going to be you're going to satisfy all the other illegal immigrants that are here of course those other illegal immigrants want to be legal but they'll be more inclined to vote democrat because maybe one day if democrats take over again they'll legalize everybody who's here illegally so it's a whole trickle-down effect but again trump it comes down to ego all right you have to understand that he will brag repeatedly 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 i don't care if he brags if it's helping our country and we're doing better, let him break all he wants. Andrew914, do I remember the New Year's 1990 Wolf playoffs of the decade? It was well produced and even had garden footage. I have many Wolf plays of the month, plays of the year in my DVD collection, and I think I also have 1990. It's, you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if the footage is on YouTube. But, yeah, I do remember he he would always show wrestling. Dusty Rhodes was always a favorite early on with the plays of the year. He would show wrestling. And at the very end, he would say, and blah, 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 blah was at the game just to, like, spoof someone. So, yeah, I remember it well. Tommy Pakeshi, happy birthday again, my friend. Uh, I don't know if I should ask this here since it's related to wrestling, but it isn't about wrestling, if that makes sense. You always talk about storyline stupidity, attention to detail, and other criticisms when talking about things you notice when you watch wrestling. My question is, does that carry over when you're watching movies or TV shows? Do you notice those things in movies and TV because you're not watching them with an analytical eye? Uh, yeah, it's a great question. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. I watch a lot of times, you know, the ID channel. And was it HLN? My girlfriend loves those channels. And we'll watch like these you know, shows that are like investigations and murders and stuff. And it's just some, because they exaggerated so much, or you see just like storyline stupidity. 
I can't tell you how many times I just look over to my girlfriend. I'm like, why the fuck are you watching this? This is so horrendous. And I would bring up this, 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 and this. It's like a bad horror film where a girl is in a room and the door is right next to her and the fucking killer is on the opposite side of the room and he fucking turns on the chainsaw or something and she can't, she could just simply open the door and run away. But instead she's on the floor and she's crying and she's shaking. And yeah, I, I, I of course you could get frozen and, you know, in fear and stuff like that but yeah it does carry over to tv shows um and but the one thing i will say when it comes to tv shows and movies it's how well something is written you know when you talk about the shows that i just mentioned you know sometimes you're forced to add that stupidity it's the only way it makes something seem more you know enticing you know, you got a girl who has two lovers or three lovers and they're all guys, you know, and the, the easy story is, is that one of the three guys did it, but some places will try to throw a softball curve and it'll be the fucking neighbor's, uh, daughter who is, you know, jealous of her for some reason. And it would make no sense whatsoever, but they try to do a twist. So you didn't go to the whole show and be like, he did it or he did it or he did it. It's just the quality of the writing. And a lot of times the writing is just hokey. It, it really is. It, it And these days, it is much easier to rewrite, you know, or, you know, recreate, you know, something, a movie that was done 20, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. You see a lot of, you know, recreations. It's because it's hard to be creative these days. And now with so much, you know, special effects and computer graphics and things you could do computerized, you know, you come up with these crazy storylines. You see some of these movies that come out and it looks like the whole world is exploding and stuff like that. And you see like somebody flies out of a car and the car is doing 38,000 flips over a cliff and the guy somehow, so, come on, it's a little over the top in my opinion. Ah, I want to just share with everybody that's interested. You know, we're in the winter time over here. As I mentioned earlier, I was without power and heat for most of uh, Thursday, which sucked shit. I mean, I, luckily I went to the parents' house, but damn, it was just miserable. And tonight it's going down to negative one here. And there's some articles online on the quickest ways to defog uh, your windows. You know, you walk into your car early in the morning, it's zero degrees out, everything gets fogged up, you don't know how to clear it out, every time you try to clear it, it fogs up again, and there's some articles that were released the last couple of days that are absolutely awesome, and if you want a quick how-to as far as how to defog your windows the quickest way possible, there are videos online from scientists that give you the scientific reason why this happens and this happens and this happens. But if you just want the cliff notes of what you do, and I actually tried it this morning and it worked. I went outside. I went and got breakfast for my girl and myself. But this is how you do it. You go into your car. You turn the defroster onto its highest setting. All right. And if you have temperature temperature control, you put it on the hottest setting as well. But you also turn on the AC feature. If you have a button where the AC can be turned on, you turn the AC button on, you turn off the option to recirculate air because you don't want the air recirculated in your car, and you open your windows. I kid you not. Open them up about a third of the way because by opening the windows, it helps take out 
the humid air and it allows fresh air to come in. You do that, your windows will be cleared in a matter of moments. I did it this morning. It's actually not hard to do. Again, turn the defroster on all the way high, turn the temperature all the way on, hit the AC button on if you have one, keep the recirculation of the of the air, that feature off, and open your windows. And if you have an older car that doesn't have all those features, turn the defroster all the way up, turn the AC feature on, crack your windows. You'll be surprised on how quick. And, you know, for some of you out there, I guarantee you probably turn around right now and saying, oh, it's just common knowledge. Believe me, I, was, I actually wasn't sure of some of that stuff. Uh, you know, in sports news, uh, I know there's been a lot of stuff going down with baseball. The biggest rumor now this weekend is that uh, the Yankees are trying to work out something with the Orioles to get Manny Machado. Uh, I talked about this, I think, two or three episodes ago on blah, blah, blah of Manny Machado going to the Yankees. Uh, personally, uh, I would love to see him come to the Yankees or the Mets. Uh, the Mets, I'm all but giving up on, you know, anything really being negotiated well with them. I mean, I, I heard earlier this week that they're talking to the Pirates about getting Andrew McCutcheon, which I don't buy that. The Mets, it just is so on the cheap with everything, and it, it's a fucking shame because, you know, they had City Field launch years back, and it was such a cool place to go. And, you know, ticket prices were were through the roof, but they just want and, – and look, sometimes you put a lot of the right pieces together. They don't have to be superstars. And, yeah, who wants to spend $30 million or $25 million on one guy? Maybe you get an $8 million guy, a $9 million guy, a $6 million guy. And you can fill some voids that way as well. But – you just you hear some of these negotiations going on. You're like, come on, you you really think I believe that? So we'll we'll see what happens. Um, next week I'm going to spend a little bit more time talking about some more wacky stuff. You know, uh, Tootsie Roll getting sued because of uh, Junior Mints fraud with their boxes because they're not filled all the way and it's, there's some wacky food things to to talk about. I just wanted to come back after a uh, two-week hiatus just to uh, wish everybody Happy New Year and just get into a few random things just to chew the shit. Nothing major to talk about. You know, getting back to baseball, I know a lot of you brought to my attention uh, about Rafael Palmero trying to make it a making comeback, a legit comeback in Major League Baseball. He's 53 years old. Obviously, he wants money, but I've watched videos of him taking batting practice. There are some vids online. He looks good, uh, but it is way too early to tell. Anything is possible. Anything is possible. And we always hear 50 is the new 40, 70 is the new 60. So maybe 53 is the new 43 for Rafael Palmero, but... I will always remember, and it's a shame because I remember he was on the Cubs. I remember him on the Orioles. This guy was fucking phenomenal, phenomenal. But I will always remember him in court denying steroids, and then we found out, you know, the truth for that. He was suspended in 05 after testing positive. But, hey, if he could come back at 53 years old naturally and do something, why not? Why not? Do I think it's going to happen? I doubt it, but it's still an interesting thing to monitor, especially if you've been a fan of baseball for quite some time. You know, I think uh, in a couple of weeks we're going to have the Hall of Fame 
inductees announced. So I think next week's episode, I'm going to talk about the Hall of Famers as well, who I think is going to go in this year, who should have went in, who likely will not. Uh, I know there's an article online that gives us, for every major league team, who would be the next person being put in. The list is okay, but I just thought it was very... Uh, it was it was very carelessly done because when you get to the Astros and they put put Jose Altuve on the list, there's no guarantee that Jose Altuve will be there five years from now. And he may not be even, you know, yes, he was there for the World Series and everything like that. But you can't predict that someone is going to be on a team long enough to be a Hall of Famer. You know, some of it's wacky. So I might leave some teams out purposely. And yes, I'll also talk about the sex scandal that's going on right now with Donovan Donovan McNabb, Eric Davis, and a few others who were fired from ESPN. There's a lot of things going on. I want to see how those stories develop a little bit more before I get into them. So, But with that said, I am done with this episode of Blah Blah Blah. Definitely send your feedback. You can email me, dontony at dontony.com. Facebook.com slash DTKC show. Follow me on Twitter at Don Tony D. And of course, if you like what we do and you can't get enough of it, give our Patreon page a try. It's Patreon slash Don Tony. You have uh, over 40 episodes of Breakfast Soup, which is a combination of my Breakfast with Blossy show and Wrestling Soup. It's hosted by yours truly and Anthony Missionary Thomas. We're doing an episode again this Wednesday. You have Castle Chronicles, which is a a solo show hosted by Kevin Castle. There's over 40 episodes of that. We do pay-per-view predictions contests there. We have other interactions. There's other podcasts there as well. I post early previews of This Week in Wrestling History there. You get to interact with us in a very uh, unique and exclusive way. It's a lot of fun. And it also helps with the expenses of all the shows that we do. So I'm out of here. And if you notice, I said I will be back next week with your next edition of Blah, Blah, Blah. Not in two weeks. I know we've been doing this every other week, but I will return again next week with your next episode. We have a lot to talk about. So everyone take care. Enjoy the rest of the weekend. I will catch you all soon. Be well. Ciao. Support the Don, Tony, and Kevin Castle Show on Patreon. Get access to thousands of hours of back episodes. Get bonus episodes and exclusive shows. Castle Chronicles. Breakfast Soup. Pay-per-view recaps. DVDs. Beer koozies. Tattoos. And more. Support the show that's entertained millions for over 16 years. Patreon.com slash Don Tony. Once again, Patreon.com slash Don Tony. Tune out with Nevia by Moen, the spa shower that offers double the coverage using about half the water, making it look, sound, and feel totally different. Learn more at moen.com slash Nebbia. Tune out with Nevia by Moen, the spa shower that offers double the coverage using about half the water, making it look, sound, and feel totally different. Learn more at moen.com slash Nebbia.